Welcome to the Big Fat Gay Podcast, where we like to talk about things that are weighing on our minds. My name is Don, and I am a rubber ducky, and I am the one. Oh my oh, goodness. Bo- both of those things? Yeah, I am. How? Rubber ducky, I'm the one. Oh, I thought you meant the one like Matrix style. No, oh. I'm going full Sesame Street on your ass. <laughs> Dan, uh, Dan, you're next. <laughs> that's right. I am the best tub toy around. That's Dan. all I'm going to say. Uh, I'm Dan Oliverio. I'm a chubby chaser and public speaker, and uh, I love trash. Anything grimy or dirty or dingy, anything damaged or rotten or rusty, I love trash. <laughs> so he's Oscar. <laughs> I'm Trevor Kizan. I'm a super chub and... There is no spoon. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Michael. I am a chaser and I am I am the cookie monster. Blah, 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 blah. All the cookies for me. Uh, please. I wanted to be please a cookie thank monster. You. <laughs> I am a cookie monster because Julia keeps making cookies. And yes, it is the basically life is perfect right now. I get to stay home, <laughs> do nothing and eat cookies. It's good stuff. You know, that's what people are saying about COVID. Life is perfect right now. Yeah, everything's yes, great. This yes. is perfect. Everything's, everything's fine. fine. I am nearly out of my first batch of COVID cookies. I have to make <laughs> another batch today. How are you almost just now out of your COVID cookies? I can't eat all of them at once. I just physically can't. Well, I'm making make? bread. I'm making cookies. I'm making cinnamon sugar bread. And <laughs> So what's your secret ingredient to your chocolate chip cookies? I'm I'm looking to make something different in mine. I'm not sure what to do. So there are two things that are essential. Well, there's one thing that's essential to making chocolate chip cookies that a lot of people don't do, which is once you make the dough and everything or the batter, mm-hmm. you uh, put it in the fridge and let it sit overnight. And I just-, just saw that recommendation. What does that do? Uh I couldn't tell you in technical terms, but I think it just allows everything to kind of coalesce and become consistent. Um, there's probably other aspects of it that make it better, but I've just been told that that's the difference maker. Um, and I think the other thing that I really liked that we kind of did by accident when we made my, my, so for my birthday, um, we made this dessert, which was unfucking believable. It was basically our take on, uh, the salt and straw salted malted chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream on a brownie with homemade whipped cream and homemade caramel sauce and some toasted almonds. And it was like, Hey Michael. Yeah. Could you say that again? But like slowly, slowly, like just. So yeah, we went out to the store and picked up some, some really smooth cream. Uh, yeah, and- yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then what happened? And then we, Stirred it up real good. All right, I'm uncomfortable now. Let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! Oh my god! I love that it's Um, Dan. Dan is the one losing his mind for the chocolate chip porn. (laughs) I'm just really good at porn. (laughs) Um. So what I was getting at was that we browned the butter for the uh, cookie dough part of that. Oh, interesting. How do you brown butter? Uh, you put it, I mean, you put it in a saucepan and turn up the heat to like medium and then basically let it just melt and then continue to melt and stir it occasionally. Um, and it will brown on its own. It's basically okay. starting to burn. Um, and you have to kind of catch it between that state of like just yellow melted butter and like 
too brown, like dark brown. You want to get it right in the middle so it has that toasty sort of nutty, nutty flavor. All yeah. right. I'll give that um, a shot. And that's, yeah, it's super easy. Um, but it adds this sort of extra dimension of flavor, which is nice. The only trick is that a lot of uh, tuck cookie dough recipes are not, like they don't want you to use melted butter. They want to use room temperature butter that you then cream with the sugar. Yeah. So we had to kind of figure out another way around it, which worked, but that's not typically how you're supposed to do it. I actually watched a uh, recipe show where they explained the difference between room temperature butter and melted butter in cookies. And melted mm -hmm. butter makes a chewier cookie. It is a perfectly viable option. There's mm. nothing wrong with using melted butter. So we have a topic this week, don't we? We do. We do actually have a proper <laughs> thing to talk about. We found one. Yes. So Trevor found this article that was published uh, a couple years ago at this point, actually, but it's really interesting, and I haven't seen a whole lot more about it before or since. Um, did you want to set that up real quick? Yes. This article by Anshuman Idemseti, um, which was on The Outline, which, rest in peace, The Outline, um, it unfortunately is no longer because of covid um, oh. But he breaks down kind of the anti-fat bias in video games, which was something that was always kind of on my radar, but never really was presented. And it's really in depth. I mean, I was impressed with the depth of research and, the, and also the number of different games he referenced. Um, but yeah, this is something that I really have had in the back of my mind, just being a gamer myself and experiencing games, but never, never actually put to words. But it's it's stunning it kind of illustrates how far behind the curve video games are like as far as just updating with the times they are still trying to appease kind of the cis white male guy assuming that all gamers are those people and that's really not the case well, if you're not familiar with video game culture uh you might have heard of gamergate over the past few years which Ooh, was yeah. a backlash against uh basically female gamers for trying to say they would like to be represented in the space in a way they feel they can connect to it. And the mm -hmm. amount of doxing, uh, physical attack, like just intimidation and tactics used against these women was stunning. Well, and, and for people who don't know what's doxing, doxing means uh, finding out where you live in real life and publishing that information on the internet, usually in forums of people who are threatening your life already. Jeez. Yeah. Well, and what I mean, I like the article because it, as a non gamer, it sort of brought the rest of the world into it. So I could, I had a point of entry. But I was actually mm -hmm. wondering, Don, how much, how much do you think the the culture of toxic masculinity, which is so present in the gaming mm -hmm. world, to my understanding, how much of that is then responsible for what you were just talking about, and then as an offshoot of that, representing fat people in a way that's so de demonizing, uh, certainly fat women especially, some fat men, you guys can talk about that. Mm -hmm. Well, I worked in the video game industry for 13 or 14 years, and I, I gotta say, it's, it's an interesting cross-section of people who tend to be individually extremely socially liberal, and then as a monolith, extremely toxically toxically masculine it's hmm. it's like individually they're not but for some reason when the collective work comes together it's inevitably presenting the male cookie cutter you must not feel anything kill everything kind of 
uh, well, the, the author talks game. about that a little bit when he talks yeah. about the work environment. And I'm curious, since you have so much experience, what is mm-hmm. he taught? The author talks about how the work environment of these uh, of these uh, <laughs> uh, the video game minds like he, it's almost like, you know, they're working in crunch time and there's so much output demanded and how that inculcates some sort of sense of abuse with then leaks out of the work. Was that your right. experience or do you have something to inform on that? Well, I would say yes. I mean, that's, that pretty much sums it up. Um, but it's, I, I would also say it's a, it, it runs into the same problem that movies do hmm. where when we're talking about this sort of thing, we're talking about what's called the triple A video game. Triple A video games are games with budgets that are tens of millions to be hundreds. conservative, right? Yeah. hundreds. Um, and when you're throwing that much money at a game, the people who are in charge of the purse strings are going to choose any formula that, that is tried and proven. Right. Mm-hmm. And so hot women wearing bikinis with guns and mm. uh, square jawed ripple muscle dudes is perceived to be the action game formula. Right. Yeah. And every time a game deviates from that and succeeds, that's not seen as proof that something else is viable. <laughs> that's seen as a coincidence or like, oh, how clever. Uh, but that's a one that's a one off thing. That's really a really clear difference between like other, I think, media and gaming specifically is that it is wish fulfillment. It is almost always some kind of power fantasy that you're handing to the players and allowing them to sort of engage in. Whereas with movies, a lot of times it's more experiential or like yeah. somebody's handing you something that you can then sort of lose yourself emotionally or so it's you know, get away. And, and again, just to reestablish, we're talking AAA games here. That is by no means all video games. And by right. no means am I talking about all programmers, just in general. You know? mm-hmm. so yeah, no, I get that. But we're talking about like if we're t- looking at a pie chart of like how many games are sold every year and what the representation is like. Yeah, it's mostly AAA games that are. So just so I understand, you're talking about the difference, bet- the difference between movies and video games being the difference between watching the story passively and being in the story participatorily. Yes. Right. And and specifically like. I think there is something about designing a game where like this, the, the author says in the article, everything in the world of a game is a choice because it wouldn't exist otherwise. Mm-hmm. Like every single thing yeah. somebody said, this should be in this game. It's not one just the in the shot. It's yeah. not just in the shot because you didn't take it out of the shot. It's, it's one of the first things I learned in making video games was like you have you have actors that basically don't even obey the laws of physics unless you tell them to. Mm. You know, yeah. it's you, you literally have to choose everything, the looks of all your characters, the environments that all characters are in, the way they interact with everything else in the world is a specific decision. There is no just dropping a character into the game and say, save these lines and deliver them emotionally. Yeah. And that that gives rise to another factor in the way fat people are trained in video games, which is history and technological capabilities mm-hmm. um, early in video gaming. They were dots like characters were dots. They were little pixel things when you came up to an enemy. Right. Let's go with the game. Double dragon. Right. You'd see like a street tough in a denim jacket. and You'd punch him and he'd go down and then you move past him to the next enemy, which is an escalation who is larger. They don't actually have a ton of capability to to do minor detail difference, like making them more muscular. So all they the only choices they have is either to give them a different colored vest or to physically make the character you're encountering larger. So fat became symbolic of higher health levels 
a di- more difficult villain to beat, therefore bad villains. Right. And that kind of gave this legacy of the existence of fat people in video games. We're all descended from uh, various enemies of Mario that were just a little fatter than him, a little bigger than him. And uh, yeah, it's just permeated the game industry ever since then. Well, and I think that the tricky thing there is that it, it there, that's two thoughts conflated because you can make an enemy that is like Dave, you can have David and Goliath, right? But Goliath doesn't have to be fat. Mm-hmm. Like you can have a, a physically imposing person huh. that is just bigger, but they don't have to be a that fat person, person. That person that what you're talking about is the final escalation. That's yes. the end boss, right? The fat people are the ones between the first people you fight and the end boss. Does that make no, sense? It's it's just it does. Yeah. What I'm saying is that I, I'm agreeing with you that that's how it has been. Yes. But I'm I'm saying it's not just a function of it being the only way to solve a problem. It's that they're they didn't have to make those enemies fatter. They just had to make right. them stretched. Like they didn't they didn't have to make them appear to be fatter. They just had to make them bigger to be quote unquote more imposing. But that became the choice. If you want to send the message that the enemy is disgusting, then yeah, they got to be fat. That's how you convey that, which exactly. is something that the article talks about. Exactly. And that was my point, which yeah. is that that is that does become a choice. It's not just and I think initially it was a function of not of limited technology, but it, it did very quickly become a choice. Yeah, huh. it's it is interesting. Like uh, the article that you sent out and we will put a link to it on our social media. Yes. yes. Um, mm-hmm. It has an interesting point in that the vast majority of villains you encounter are all sort of the same. Um, they're fat. They're usually, um, their fatness is brought to a level that is sort of unrealistic and, uh, demonic, right? Like it's often melting in some way or their flesh is oozing off their body. Um, and their superpowers, as we mentioned before, involve vomiting and farting Farting and exploding is a big one. Right. I like, I think, I think the examples he gives in that article are a little older. I actually think that we've been drifting away from that a little bit. Like Ellie from Borderlands, we've mentioned her once before on the show. And in fairness, so did he. Yeah, she's still a stereotype. Um, The character Roadhog from Overwatch. He is a villain, yes, but he's actually not stupid, which is a break in these video games. And none of his super abilities have anything to do with being fat. So... Here's my question. A lot of what we're talking about is like the bad guys in games, right? Like how they mm-hmm. are frequently fatter and that then exaggerated and made to look horrible and gross and all their movesets are, you know, stereotypically about food or some sort of digestive issue. But that in a way that kind of makes sense to me because all evil characters in games have some weird exaggerated grotesquerie, even if it's not about fat, like other non-fat villains have something. My question is, is what we're missing fat heroes, like to balance out that equation, because there's always going to be some kind of horrible villain, whether or not they're fat and they're going to look disgusting and in other ways, maybe what we're missing is just the fat hero to show that there are good, there's a good side of this, not so much. I would think that'd be amazing. My question is, again, given that most children when surveyed would rather be handicapped, would rather have a physical disability than be fat. Like they'd rather be in a wheelchair than be the fat kid. I wonder if you can get a video game player to want to be the fat kid, the fat guy. 
if I the think you fat would... guy is a fun character to play, yes. Maybe like, so. That's yeah. the thing. There's a perception. Uh, like, don't go on to forums and read what people <laughs> have to say true, true. about inclusivity of fat people in video games. Ever. It's heartbreaking. But you know what? It's not unique to fat people. I've seen the exact mm. same things written about including a black female I was character. Gonna, I was going to ask yeah. about that. Or, yeah. Yeah. yeah, or, mm -hmm. you know, why does this character have to be uh, bisexual in this game? Why is it Why is it that the character I'm playing, somebody else could make romantic choices to make this character hook up with a guy? Mm -hmm. Like, I can't connect with this character because someone else in someone else's storyline might be able to experience a gay romance with this. Oh, character. sure. But, but that's, and, and that's like, that's so common in homophobia. That's the whole argument against gay marriage is, you know, it cheapens my straight marriage. If those gay people can get <laughs> married, <laughs> but in video I'm, games, you can see that being applied to every single other mm -hmm, than mm -hmm. I mean, white, even, even just women, because it gets it. It gets yeah. at the heart of identity. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and in video games, it's a little different because it also gets in the face of what uh, the the quote unquote core fan base sees as their ownership. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, they, again, and so much of this stuff is old information. I feel like the new generation of video gamers are different from this, but there's a legacy from the old video game culture of, you know, of everything else was taken away from me. The fact that I play video games is because I've retreated from the world. So video games are my world. And now mainstream world is coming in and trying to mm. take what I like and give it to someone to someone like women who don't like me. Right. And like, again, mm. these but, are broad stereotypes. I am so not saying this is I everybody. Mean, but these, but. The, the game. So this article is from 2018. So it is outdated. But. I mean, there's not. I can't think of anything new from yeah. Yeah. video games that goes against. But going this. back to some older video games, like I'm just going to go into my own experience playing Street Fighter Two when I was in college. Uh, initially, I picked up the female character because she was fast, right? But then later on, I started playing the fat character. He was the first fat character that was fun to play in any video game I'd ever played. Mm -hmm. uh, e Honda, the sumo wrestler. And he went, was able to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with anyone else in the game. Nice. Um, it, Trevor and I were watching. I guess, Trevor, you, you might have to fill in here. Was it a preview? What were you showing me? No, okay. So um, I've been hearing stuff about uh, the new the remake of Final Fantasy VII came out. I saw people talking about uh, in the game, there's a character, <coughs> Wedge, uh, who is fat, who now has gotten more flushed out because the game is just, <laughs> there, there's more depth to it. There's more graphics. There's voice acting. Uh, the story has been changed. So I found, uh, of course, because it's, you know, been out for like a week. So there's um, all of the cutscenes featuring this character on YouTube. So I was like, oh, okay, I want to check out to see like how they've changed this character, how they've flushed them out. I was appalled at how he gets treated. You know, he's sort of, he's, he's dopey, cute and fat. And he, and the world he's in is that, you know, he tries to make a contribution, but it's kind of understood that he's ineffectual, that he couldn't possibly make a contribution. They find stuff for him to do, but not include him. And they make it very apparent that any any acknowledgement of him as his existence is really an act of charity. It was really appalling to see how he was treated. And I think that is, you know, I think it was, I think you, Don, in a past podcast episode, episode, you were talking about how a lot of fat people find a way to contribute, or maybe Michael, you were saying this, 
uh, people, a lot of fat people will find a way to contribute as a way of getting acceptance in a group, mm -hmm. of finding a role yeah. that makes a contribution. And I felt like that was what this fat character in the video game was struggling to do, but they wouldn't have any of it because, well, he's fat and that's just not allowed. Maybe share a link with a spoiler warning attached because yes. I'd be curious to see that. Though, so, uh, I, sorry, we got a little distracted from what I was getting towards originally. Uh, so like the E-Honda character, right? He was the first major fat character that was playable, that was mainstream, that was fun, it was effective. But even playing that character then, I remember looking at him and feeling like whoever made the character didn't trust people to enjoy playing a fat character. So if you look at him, he is fat. But he has a six pack. Yeah. <laughs> he has an enormous no. gut with a six pack on the outside. No. Go look at it. It's oh. the weirdest freaking yes. thing. Um, and that became sort of a pattern for effective fat characters where they were often portrayed as like they didn't really have a belly. They were just sort of barrel like at best mm -hmm. um, where their torsos just sort of went large but straight. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, when, when I was actually researching, like, fat characters in video games, sometimes there were a lot of question marks as to whether mm. or not this character was fat or not. Mario is another good example of that. Where, mm. like, in early examples of him, hand-drawn stuff, when he was, the cartoonishness was emphasized, there was a round belly, and it slowly mm. faded away over time. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, there is a very mixed relationship to fat in these video games, where even when they do include a good character, there's a hesitancy, and it's... It, it, an attempt to pull back from it. Yeah, there's, they're struggling to find a way of being acceptably fat. Yeah. And a lot of people go yeah. through that in their lives. Like, you know, well, you know, my brother, my sister, you know, they're, they're fat. But, you know, they're, they're not awful. They're not awful, ugly, terrible people. They're, you know, they're acceptably fat. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. They're not too fat. Yeah. Um, I want to give a quick shout out to, um, so I've been a long-term fan of the Sims franchise. Mm -hmm. um, and in the later installations of the Sims games, mm -hmm. Um, they have allowed basically more customization of uh, bodies for The Sims. Uh, the, the Sims, if you don't know, the franchise is a, it's a life simulator. You make little people. You can have them get married and have children or drown them in pools or have them be <laughs> astronauts or anything. The world want. is your oyster. Yes. Um, <laughs> but just really the latest game, you can, I mean, the characters can actually be fat and you, they can also have different body types. Mm -hmm. um, they can have different gender expression. Uh, the Sims was the first game to have gay marriage, hmm. not necessarily hmm. by wokeness, but because it was easier to program <laughs> <laughs> to allow all the characters to get married. Yeah. Um, but it became this Great. like groundbreaking thing, you know, and the first game came out, I don't know if it was 1999 or 2000, but you know, with gay video game characters. Yeah. Another game I never played myself, and I, I didn't realize they had this mechanic until I started doing research for this, is Saints Row. So it's an older franchise mm -hmm. where uh, you can generate your character's look from, God, so many elements. But this was the first one I saw where you could actually make your own character be fat in a realistic way. It wasn't just sort of that barrel-shaped barrel mm -hmm. or just a larger version of the original model. These characters were actually fat, and they were animated that way. So uh, if you're interested in playing a online game where you actually sort of can build something that looks like yourself, it's, it's possible in that. And uh, something the author mentioned in the article as well is that Saints, I think it was Saints Row 2 also has a gender slider. It's not a binary uh, male or female as well as like physique. You know, you can just slide across and just sort of let it 
end where you want it to be. That's cool. Um, yeah. It, and that seem it can seem arbitrary from one point of view, but for somebody for whom that really hits home, that is a huge thing. Um, and I would not think all that difficult to include in character customization, but the fact that they made that choice and not many other people have is worth, yeah, worth applauding. So one last thing I wanted to bring up, and this is a little nitty gritty, but it's, this was a thing that was in my head from the point that I started reading the article to the end. And I don't think he actually addressed it. So in video games, I would say probably most AAA games, there is some variety of combat and usually what that means is your character has to have a space in the game world that can be hit. Like it's it's called hitboxes where like where did the other person's attack go and how did it hit you? And then all of the game is about, you know, trying to shoot the other person or hit them in some way and also mitigate yourself. And the question I had in my mind was like, how do you make a game that includes fat heroes where you're not at a disadvantage for having larger hitboxes that are easier to attack? Or do you just rebalance the game? Like, do you, like, how, what are the, what's the nitty gritty there? Well, like, I wonder if the hitboxes, although they may be larger, they may have less damage in the sense that, yeah. you know, if, if you have a larger body, there may be, you, you still have the same area of vital organs, for example. So maybe you have in, you have more flesh wounds. I guess is what I'm going to say. <laughs> in that's modern a, gaming, yeah. where you're you're creating cooperative teams of any kind, that's actually not even difficult anymore. Uh, there's a role in most sort of team based uh, stuff called uh, called the tank. Right. Mm -hmm. The tank's job is to get out in front of the team and get hit to absorb damage, so that other people will live long enough to do their jobs. Right. Mm -hmm. So Overwatch is a great example of that. Roadhog is a tank in Overwatch. He's the big fat guy that we discussed earlier. He actually doesn't have like shields or anything like that, uh, but he just has an enormous amount of health. He has to physically get in front of other people to take the hits for them. Um, and then he huffs gasoline to get his health back. That's something else. <laughs> uh, but again, I'm going to point out that choice. He huffs gasoline. They could have made him eat a burger mm. or pop some ice cream or all that stuff. That would be the mm -hmm. standard expected thing for a fat person to do in a, in a video game. He doesn't do that. Um, so in modern gaming, it's a lot easier to make these characters that can be fat and viable in these games. The problem tends to be that it, just perception. It's purely perception. Oh, always, always, you know, mm -hmm. Like even in Overwatch, they still don't have a single fat char uh, female character. Yeah. I don't think anybody can reasonably argue that the reason we see such terrible depictions of fat people in video games is because of the technology. <laughs> well, that is even, one of the outs that the, tech, the video game industry will use to try and claim the resources it would take to make a larger character look viable uh, would then, it could then be used to make dozens of other costumes, dozens, dozens of other hairstyles, uh, as opposed to creating a character model type that they don't believe their audience is interested in. It's funny. That's the same argument that the clothing industry has. Yes. <laughs> Why they don't make clothes for fat it would also And they don't hesitate to do it if they want to make a villain. Yeah, exactly. And it would also eat into the breast physics budget. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so here's my last question before I move on. If and this is always my because I, I want to try and end on a positive note. So Don, Trevor, Dan, any of us, if if you could take a game that you currently enjoy 
and 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 apply your like a new character or like what what is the version of a fat hero that you would like to see represented in the game either existing or not existing like what would that look like for you what kind of person would that be it, what kind of game would it be how would that be fun for you okay i was thinking about this so one of the things i always see in uh, uh these forums talking about fat characters in video games is always it's so unrealistic. Like these people are running around, shooting things, rolling, climbing. How could they possibly be fat? It's just <laughs> unrealistic. Well, you know what? Everyone never blinks twice that Jean Grey, the X-Men, who has a telekinetic and can move everything with her mind and could fly everywhere. This chick never has to walk. She never has to lift a finger. Jean Grey could be fat as all hell because she's a telekinetic. She has to have no physical energy output or caloric output whatsoever. So you know what? I want a big, fat telekinetic that <laughs> flies through levels, wrecks shit with their minds just to say fuck you to all the realism, quote unquote, realism people out there. I love that. Who demands all telekinetics be female, thin, and hot. Right. I like that a lot. That's cool. I would play that game. <laughs> I think just, I mean, the the realism argument, there is nothing realistic about so many games. <laughs> so it is just like, I would love like in an Overwatch type game, there to be fat characters that aren't necessarily the tank or even like more options to be fat in games. Dan, what would excite you in a video game? Uh, you know, uh, the last, the, uh, I, I think a, a wider line is, in the pong strip <laughs> that was the last video game i played so if the if the if the thicker pong guy would be would be good <laughs> i i was talking to dan about that and i was like well you can say you know like well is it any wonder like look the long thin paddles <laughs> are the characters and they're slamming around the little pudgy dot character <laughs> it's gross discrimination gross representation michael <laughs> how about you there's a lot to be explored there. Um, <laughs> I So I tend to really get engrossed in games that are story and character driven. And I would like to see a video game protagonist that was fat who, where it was realistic in the sense of how their character was treated. I mean, we have you have your AAA wish fulfillment games where you run around shooting stuff and that's fine. You don't have to be realistic there. I would like a realistic game where I can role play as that character and 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 have an experience that would basically like every down in Trevor, you probably know the game Heavy Rain, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's mm -hmm. all story based, and you are it's you're playing a detective, right? And you're sort of uncovering these mysteries, and it's very very role play heavy. I would like a game like that with a fat protagonist. Nice, interesting. So Trevor, you had a tip. Oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> Segway. So obviously. We're still in quarantine, as we said at the top of the episode, and there has been a constant barrage of news that is upsetting. Um, and I just wanted to share an article that I found talking about, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, articles coming out saying, oh, you know, obesity is severe risk factor for COVID. Uh, and I found an article from Wired that is breaking down, actually, no, it's not. Um, COVID does not discriminate by body weight, which is the title of the article. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it really breaks everything down very nicely. Um, I had seen it and then I saw someone posting on Instagram just being very stressed out and worried about, um, yeah. like, I'm going to die. 
Uh, and I sent them the article and they were like, this completely, like, I feel so much better about everything now. Like this, is, I've heard that. Yeah. It's a really great breakdown. So many times. Um, so uh, a lot of my friends, especially when this first started and there wasn't all that much information out there, except for like, if you have any sort of secondary conditions or, and being fat was one of them or BMI is how yeah. they, they refer to it. <laughs> exactly. But, um, that was the one thing that kept coming up and people that I know who are otherwise like, like not even necessarily like down on themselves in life generally, but became very concerned because this was such a new thing globally. This is such a new thing to deal with that we felt like we didn't know enough about it. And when you're told that this is a factor and this is something to be scared of, what else are you going to do, but be scared of it? And so it's nice that somebody has actually taken the time to, to, to gather that research together and break it down and say, actually, no, this is, this is not necessarily something you have to worry about in this way. Yeah. And, and for those who are wondering, like, so what is the, what, what, what is this? They basically looked at how the original studies were saying that high BMI, you know, makes it a risk factor. And the reason it's not is because the studies did not properly correct for things like socioeconomics and, and, uh, lifestyle and things and things like that. They do what most fat studies do, which is just say, Oh, look, here's a problem. Here's fat. They look the same end of study. So with that said, we have a bit Yes, indeed. Dan, take us away. (laughs) Another great segue. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so um, I'm... Uh, I'm sort of uh, stealing Don's clever idea of having categories and questions. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, Dan's doing the bit today? Yes. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? <gasps> the world's and gone mad. I'm so excited. <laughs> bum, we, bum, we are in bum. lockdown. Hell has frozen over. I would not dare to uh, rival or try attempt to rival uh, Don's quiz master skills. So I have uh, <laughs> a different set of questions, but they are, uh, I'm going to give you four categories. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can choose the category, which will then decide your question. So you guys ready? All right. So the yes. categories are mud pies and pigtails. <laughs> Got you where I want you. Mm-hmm. Big as life. And none of your business. Nice. <laughs> and I don't know. Michael, you go first. Just I want got you where I want you. Got you where I want you. <laughs> no question, no hesitation. That's what I want. <laughs> uh, well, this this actually is appropriate for you because you you all you sort of asked this question for the video games. Got you where I want mm-hmm. you. Uh, as chubs or chasers, we often find ourselves on the outside looking in, uh, being unseen or being misunderstood. What's your earliest experience of being gotten or really understood as a chaser? Uh, maybe it was online. Maybe it was a close friend. Uh, maybe it was uh, somebody in the community or out of the community. Ooh, this is a good question. I think there's. I think there's two answers. One is the like on my lizard brain level of feeling gotten, and then there's the like interacting with a human being sort of thing. I think the the, <laughs> the lizard brain level. I think was when I stumbled. A, across a certain website when I was a teenager <laughs> and oh yes was oh. like oh oh no that's that's interesting that's definitely like that's in line with how I think um I don't particularly want to say which website but <laughs> I think oh, you come can on you have to infer you your answers <laughs> <laughs> we I'm will guess we will. I'm guessing bigger city no, not Bigger City. Although I oh. did get to Bigger City eventually. Ooh, what is it? Um, you can cut it out. <laughs> I, I now I want to know. Yeah, that was the lizard brain level, and then like as a as a 
human connecting to another human. Um, I think it, I don't think there's been any one defined moment. I think it has been a slow build over time. But I also had a really weird introduction into this life. I mean, I had this this from 15 to 21. I had like this whole section of what I would probably call the lost years where that's just like this black hole of my life. And that's where those experiences would have happened mm, for me. Nice. So yeah, it's, it's a little hard to pinpoint, but definitely like when I was a teenager exploring my sexuality and not having any, not having anything in person to, to do that, uh, finding something online was like, it, it hit home in a way that you never thought would be possible. Mm. And, and yeah, that's, that's certainly stuck with me. That's great. Uh, okay. Who wants to be next? Uh, I want to do mud pies and pigtails. My, of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Trevor, uh, <laughs> I think you're going to like this. Uh, mud pies and pigtails. The question is children put all sorts of strange things in their mouths. What was something you, what was something you used to love to eat as a child that most people would find repugnant? Oh, uh, this oh, is man. 100% so easy. This is so easy. Cause I still do it sometimes. And actually, so my former Pilates instructor one time was really pressing me for like, what's a guilty pleasure food of yours? Uh, and I was like, no, I mean, I don't really like assigning uh, morals to food. So I don't really know how to answer that question, which she was like, I felt very shut down she, by. She, she could not understand that. <laughs> That's um, a really good response. I like that. And then I was yeah. like, oh, well, I guess a guilty pleasure food would be something that is like kind of gross that I don't necessarily want it like a weird combination that like someone would think was like gross that I don't want to admit. Mm -hmm. And this is uh, my weird guilty pleasure food from my childhood, which is couscous with ketchup and uh, garlic powder or garlic salt. Oh my. Mm, um, that is so specific. It doesn't sound that weird to me. Uh, I would have it with a uh, chopped up hot dogs. Um, <laughs> okay. Now it got weird. Every Midwestern meal involves chopped up hot yes. dogs yeah. or jello and, apparently. And, oh, and ketchup. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I don't have it with hot dogs anymore. I mean, it was just like, I think like, I don't know the kid needs meat. Give him a hot dog. <laughs> the natural Midwestern thing. It's all hot dogs in the Midwest. That's they right. grow so abundantly out here. Yeah. <laughs> have you driven through the hot dog orchards? They're down in Orange County. They're it's, beautiful. Yeah. yeah, but it's been so hot lately that they're they're a little too charred right now. They're a little ro over roasted. Mm, yes. <laughs> Dan, what what are the categories remaining? So you're, the, the two remaining categories are big as life, uh, or none of your business. Oh dear. Uh, let's go with none of your business. None of your business. Uh, what's a specific company or store that you would like to patronize, but can't because their product or service doesn't accommodate your size? Mm. Uh, maybe it's a restaurant or an airline, a car manufacturer, amusement park, clothing company. What would you like to see changed? Dude, mm -hmm. honestly, just the gap. Mm. It would be so nice to have convenient clothes shopping uh, anywhere. Like I, that's just doesn't exist for me. So, uh, it, I mean, I guess the, the, the gap is the first thing that comes to mind because it seems ubiquitous. But uh, yeah, being able to just buy something off the rack that looks good is comfortable and costs less than $40 would be wonderful. Yeah. And, and the gap would be that the store that you'd feel like you can never walk into. Oh, yeah. Just nothing there fits. Mm -hmm. Like they have clothes that go up to like 3X, which I could fit into. But it's cut wrong. Like yeah, it just exactly. like nobody I know could wear that. Mm -hmm. Like 
it's maybe for like extreme bodybuilders, not no, no. Like, believe me, I, I I have the same complaint about the gap. They don't have anything that's cut right for me. Yeah, yeah. It, I don't know who those clothes are cut for. Yeah. in the larger sizes, <laughs> but it's not anyone I know. Yeah, if you're listening and you wear the larger sizes at the Gap, please tell us how <laughs> please, your body works. Send us pictures send, of your body type. Yes, give us a selfie. <laughs> well, I guess I'll take big as life. Um, yeah, which is we've often talked on the podcast about depictions of fat people in movies and TV shows. Uh, what aspect of being a chaser would you like to see depicted in a movie or TV show? Uh, would it be a character? Would it be a storyline? Um, and what genre would it be? Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm always waiting and hoping and disappointed that mm-hmm. <laughs> there would be an actual humanely depicted chubby chaser on a show in a chub chaser relationship. Uh, I would prefer to see it in some sort of sci-fi or fantasy show, but that probably would limit its appeal. Um, mm. But I, that would just be what I would watch. But I'd love to see, I'd love to see it where it is acknowledged that the thin person is actually attracted to the size of the fat person. Like that's an actual right. component of their relationship. Yeah, that would be that. That's why when we when we talked in the last couple of weeks about like what was your watershed like defining like oh I see myself on TV it hasn't happened yet because like what Dan just said like I want to see that happen still. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just remembered this week the very first depiction of a chubby chaser I'd ever seen in any film or TV show, and I think I saw it when I was like eight years old on the playboy channel uh it was a movie starring zero mistel i think it was zero mistel called the the ritz oh yeah and it was not not a kind depiction they of never a chaser, are they never are but it wasn't a horrific i mean i guess it kind of was I, I don't know. in my memory it was just <laughs> how well do you remember just, it well i don't remember it that well i just remember that zero mistel was straight and had to hide from some mobsters in a bathhouse Mm. Um, and there was a, there was a chubby chaser guy in there and the only thing sort of negative about him was that he was just relentless and wouldn't take no yeah. for an answer. And that's the only thing I really remember. Yeah. Um, but he was also very non-threatening. So that yeah. was a compi- Yeah. Component. We're, we're either, we're either depicted as predators or just generally defective, like ineffectual. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's what I got. Nice. Well, well thank done, you, Dan. 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 I like awesome. that. Awesome. Hey, this fun. is wait. Does that mean any of us can come up with a bit? Does <gasps> yes. That, open has, season. Oh my god, the barn door is open. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, you should. Zip Don, it you're going to be out of a job. <laughs> I want to no. see what Michael's bit is. <laughs> You've already seen it. <laughs> oh. Oh. Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! Everybody, All just right, calm, down. Uh, Cal- calm down. Calm <laughs> down. If you want to see Michael's bit, I can tell you where to do it if we want to do that now. What was that website again? Please give us the same. (laughs) It's www.michaelsbits.com. Otherwise known as the Big Fat Gay Podcast. I think we've just discovered our first Patreon extra. If you want to see Michael's bit or any of the other lovely things we talked about in this episode, you can follow us on social media at, at Big Fat Gay Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can see even more of Michael's bit at our website, www.bigfatgaypod.com, or see uh, some censored portion of Michael's what? bit on Facebook, at, uh, where we're the Big Fat Gay Podcast. Leave us a five-star review on Please. iTunes and Stitcher, telling us how much you love Michael's bits. Um, and, oh God, if you're... Uh, you're listening at home or in the car 
Michael's bits are right behind you. Yeah. Watch out. (laughs) 